Welcome to What's Eric Eating, Culture Map's bi-weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. This is the Tuesday show where we talk about some news in Houston's restaurant world and a meal we had at a new restaurant. To do that, I am joined by my co-host this week. She is an expert on food, wine, and good times. We follow her on Instagram at Swanky Maven. Felice Sloan, welcome back to the show. How are you? Hey, 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 hey. I am doing lovely. Thank you, Eric. I'm so glad to hear that. I'm glad you're here. Let us dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one, 11 Houston restaurants and chefs have been named semifinalists for this year's James Beard Awards. You know, as you say, we've got to give them their shine. So here they are. I will do this quickly, but as clearly enunciated as possible. For Outstanding Restaurateur, Itai Ben Ali and Itamar Levy of Sof Hospitality Group, that is Doors Metropolitan, Hamsa and Badolina Bakery. For Outstanding Restaurant, Nancy's Hustle. For Emerging Chef, Ope Amosu of Chop and Block. For Best New Restaurant, June. For Outstanding Bakery, Cafeteria. And Outstanding Pastry Chef or Baker, Stephanie Velasquez of Emma. And finally, for Outstanding Hospitality, Blue Dorn. And then there are four nominees for Best Chef Texas. They are Mark Clayton of Squabble, Emmanuel Chavez of Totemo, Victoria Elizondo of Cochinita Co., and Thomas Billy of Belly of the Beast. Felice, that's a mouthful. That's more nominations than any other city in Texas got, which is exciting. But let me just ask you, what is your assessment of this year's nominees? Does this feel like the right group of people to be and restaurants to be in the in the mix for these various awards? Okay, let me just say congratulations, congratulations, congratulations. It is super exciting. It represents everything that Houston has to offer, I think. I think it's the right group. If you look at the list and someone says, tell me about Houston food. Tell me about Houston. Like, I would say, look at this list. And it kind of represents Houston to me, like in a nice way. It's just diverse. And so I I like the list. I think um, they get it right. Going back to, you said, it's exciting. You know, it's the most, the most um, nominations of any city in the state. Doesn't mean shit. Because we know how they do. So, you know, all the happiness I have on one side, on the other side, it really doesn't mean anything. Because at the end of the day, will they get it right? Do they have the list right? I think yes. Will they get it right? That's what I got to say. Well, yeah, let's let's say. I mean, realistically, (laughs) relatively few of these semifinalists are going to be named finalists and ultimately be eligible to win in June at the award ceremony in Chicago. Correct. Correct. I don't know if we want to get too into the handicapping of who exactly we think might advance. It's, it's we don't even have to go there. Yeah. These <laughs> national categories. Let me, let me just say outstanding restaurant tour and outstanding restaurant are the two most prestigious James Beard awards. They are for chefs and restaurateurs who have accomplished a great deal over many, many years. I would say that it is unlikely for first-time nominees like 
Sof Hospitality Group and Nancy Sussel to advance to the finalist stage. Now you never know. I mean, right. anything anything's possible, but I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say probably not. Now, you know, the one that intrigues me out of all of the national categories, the one that intrigues me, well, the two that intrigue me the most, the two that I think are maybe most likely to move on, right? Are Chop and Block, Opie, because he's done so much media nationally and he's been traveling, spreading the gospel of Chop and Block. You know, he's been on Top Chef and he's been on with Marcus Samuelson and he did Padma Lakshmi's Hulu series, I think. I think, you know, if you're a if you're a voter, if you're a, a you know, a lot of these voters are media people. So yep, if you're kind of paying agree. attention to what's cutting edge in Houston, you probably heard of Chopping Block and you might right, get he's, yeah, he's, he's on, on your radar. He's on your radar. Yep. And then the other one is June. It's June. Yep. Because <laughs> Evelyn did so well on Top Chef. Yep. That it gives her a profile. So if I had to speculate, right, I think I think it's. It's tough to advance for anyone in these national categories because there's only there's 20 semifinalists and only five finalists. But fingers crossed. Those were uh, my two, those were my two that would possibly make it. And then I said as my third, possibly Blue Dorn. Right. For kind of the same reasons, right? Because Aaron yeah, and Sharif correct. have been traveling the country, Charleston food and wine, events in New York. They did a they were in Mexico City as part of a tourism thing for, uh, you know, on behalf of the city of Houston. So maybe in that mix. And really, I mean, I think that, you know, you have this kind of French inspired fine dining restaurant and the hospitality is overseen by uh, Sharif Mboj, who's a, a Senegalese immigrant and a alum of working for. Daniel Blue, I think that all helps their kind of helps their case. Yeah. So yeah, I'd say right. once you kind of understand how things go, and if you look at the trends of, you know, uh, of James Beard, that would be the how you would go. Maybe yeah, that that kind of how I looked at it. The same way you looked at, like the same way you're looking at it. And then for Best Chef Texas. With the with the criteria that all of them are qualified and all of them are deserving and all of them make very delicious food, I think it might be Emmanuel Chavez might have the best chance just because he's already been named a food and wine best new chef. And so he's got again, he's got a slightly higher profile regionally, nationally than the other three chefs. And what Tatemo is doing with its Masa program, with its tasting menu is so special and so refined that I think if I, if I had to guess that he might be the most likely, but they're all deserving. And, and Mark Clayton is our reigning chef of the year in the culture map tastemaker awards. I love squabble. Yep. I just was back to coach and co earlier this month for, for brunch. And just, I'm always so impressed by Victoria's food. And you know, if you listen to this podcast, you know a couple of weeks ago I I you went to Be- I said Belly yeah. of the Beast is is where it's at, and you got to make the drive mm-hmm. to spring to check it out. So good luck to all of these semi like congratulations to all the semifinalists. Good luck moving on to the next round, and then we'll we'll see how it goes. We'll see. Exciting stuff, though. Excited for all of them. Absolutely. All right, and then topic number two: Buffalo Bayou Brewery closed last week. Very suddenly, they were 
served a notice of termination by their landlord for non-payment of rent. Fleece, now I, I don't I don't know. I don't want to get too far in the weeds on this, but Buffalo Bayou Brewery has had a troubled history of the last couple of years, right? They they were involved in Nexeed and they weren't paying their investors. There were anonymous allegations from alleged former employees about this wasn't a great place to work. There are investors in the company that are suing the current CEO for the way the deals were done. There's a lawsuit from Frost Bank that says they owe them a whole bunch of money. I mean, it's if you've been paying attention, this ending for Buffalo Bayou is not is not a complete surprise. Right. You saw it coming. I want to say, dare I say, I saw it coming in the beginning, like very early on. I'm like, oh, I hope this worked out for them. And I sure hate it because I love them and I love what they, their old space and the energy and what they used to do. And it's one of those things where getting too big, too fast and that whole thing, go big or go home. Like sometimes going big too fast, just doesn't work. You know, what you have works and maybe scaling up a little bit. And I just, mm, I hate it for them though. I do. I've been hating it for them for a while. Right. I I mean, what's, what's interesting to me is I've sort of spoken to people over the weekend the restaurant, the, the brewery is a destination, the restaurant and the that rooftop patio and all that stuff remains very popular. Yeah. You know, it if you drive if you drove Bo there last weekend before it closed, you would never have known that this was coming. The the problem is that the off-premise sales of craft beer are in decline and that people's tastes have changed. Right, they're drinking more seltzers. They're drinking more ready-to-drink cocktails. They're drinking beverages infused with CBD or THC, and and so our collective appetite for IPAs and stouts and and all the other delicious beers that that Buffalo Bayou used to make have diminished. And some established breweries are still doing very well. Obviously, St. Arnold is doing is doing great. And these smaller little brew pubs that are in in little neighborhoods, right? Like True Anomaly or Equal Parts, they're doing good because they, you know, they have a, a devoted little. They've got a, a smaller footprint, lower expenses, and a devoted following. So, so that's that's all fine. But Buffalo Bayou just closed. Eighth Wonder Brewery was bought last year by a cannabis company. You know, these medium sized breweries that need both a thriving tap room and strong sales to bars, restaurants, and grocery stores, they're, they're getting squeezed right now. And, and so it's just, it's a, it's a tricky, it's a tricky problem. And and I'm not here to diagnose specifically what happened at, at Buffalo Bayou, but uh, you know, we've seen a lot of these, we've seen some of these little breweries close. We've seen some of these medium breweries change hands and, you know, it's a, it's a sad situation for the employees of Buffalo Bayou. It's a sad situation for people like me, who had fond memories of going there, but you know, that's, that's the economic reality of where we're at. Yep. It is. It is. I'll leave that right there. Yep. <laughs> All right. So do you, do you have any sense of, you know, I, I talked to John Deal, who's the the landlord for Sawyer Yards who, who made this decision. He said, we're committed to finding something really great 
to go in that space. Do you do you want to just engage in idle speculation about what what will or should go there? Oh gosh, um, I don't. You know what? I haven't even thought of. I can't even think about because it's such a large space. What would you put there? Like, and how I'm just thinking about. We were somewhere recently. We'll talk about it later. Like repurposing it, like seeing seeing them repurpose it. Oh gosh, I don't know. What are you thinking? Yeah, you I know, know you, I you throw I, it out there. You have some ideas. You've thought it, thought about. It. Well, you know, I am not a a brewery expert, but I do sort of wonder if there aren't. You know, is there something in Austin? Is there something in Dallas? Urban South from New Orleans opened a facility in a different part of Sawyer Yards. You know, is there someone like that? Is there a brewery in Atlanta or Denver or California that wants to be in the Houston market? And it's like, all right, well, here you go. I mean, this is this is as turnkey as it gets. And you could get into it at a reasonable cost, presumably. And then you'd have a really nice facility and you could bring your reputation and all that stuff, you know, to Houston. So that that was my only thought was that if you could find some other brewery from some, because I don't think there are any Houston breweries that are going to move, right? Like I can't see Eureka Heights or Spindle Tap or something like that because they're not going to want the karma, right? Like there's only, no, there's, I wouldn't. only there's only so much sage you can burn. Uh, <laughs> right. I so, would not. I'd be like, we're good where we are. Right. That's why I'm like, I haven't thought who would want to go. Yeah. Who's going in that space? Mm. Yeah, so it's, and it's all such a large space, right? Like that's yeah, it's twenty eight thousand square feet. It's a lot, three space. stories, a lot of space. Yeah, lot so. of dinero, honey, lot of dinero, lot of dinero. All right, and then uh, and then finally, topic number three. Speaking of closures, Alice Blue, a restaurant in the Heights, announced that it will close at the end of February, bringing to an end, at least for now, chef and restaurateur Claire Smith's. 30-year history in Houston restaurants. If you're if you're new to the city, you may not realize that Alice Blue, uh, before it was Alice Blue, was called Shade. It operated yep. in the Heights for almost 20 years, going back to the time when uh, the Heights was dry, when 19th Street was all kind of antique stores, and the Heights was this sleepy little neighborhood with like not really any restaurants to speak of, not not restaurants of of quality. In the 90s, she had a restaurant called. Daily Review Cafe. She spent 10 years with a different restaurant in Montrose called Canopy. Uh, the police, I know you and I went to a few times over the years. So, you know, this this is not this is not a sad situation, right? This is Claire Smith saying, I've been working in restaurants for 30 years. I want to enjoy some time off. My lease is up. Thanks for everything, Houston. See you later. Uh, Good for Claire. Good for Claire. Do you have any memories of any of Claire's restaurants that you want to share? Yeah, listen, I'm good for Claire's. I, I'm really, like, this one hits me. Listen, I got shade in the divorce. That's all I'm saying. I got shade in the divorce, and I'm like, listen, I wish you would. I wish you would be at shade when I roll up, okay? Yeah, that, that's how much shade meant to me. I used to go to shade. I introduced a lot of friends to shade. And to your point, I remember the days of shade where, you know, you, you it was still dry. You have to have the little card and all of that. They had some of the best 
We would go there for brunch, for burgers and the hot dogs, canopy, the quiche. So, yeah, I'm going to miss it. Alice Blue, I remember when Brandy um, was over there, Brandy Key for a while, and they had the Pasole. Like, I just have so many great memories of the place. And um, hats off to Claire. Thank you for 30 years of good times and good memories and good food. Yeah, I mean, it would be worth kind of digging into the Claire Smith family tree because it's, it, I know just any number of really talented people have have crossed paths with her over the years. You know, Jeb Stewart, who uh, was a sommelier and manager of Cultivare and is, and is back in town uh, getting ready to do uh, Postscript HDX with uh, Brian Caswell uh in river oaks i know i know he was there for a long time when alice blue opened i know it was kind of a staging ground for jason vaughn and sean jensen who would go on to open nancy's hustle and and get all of that acclaim you know that's that's where they were working they they contributed to that menu because sean had worked for sean had worked at uh at shade back in the day so you know before he went on to do everything that he's done so it's got this real interesting culinary family tree and yeah, I think you're right. I think hats off to Claire. Best of luck with whatever's next. And, you know, she was so funny as, you know, what's next? She's like, well, I mean, you never know. I could get, I could get inspired and open a coffee shop a couple years from now. But, but for right now, uh, for right now, this is goodbye. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad that she's given everybody like a full month uh, to kind of make one last visit to 19th Street to, to go to Alice Blue. And that she's going to bring back some of her most popular dishes from over the years. I know there's a there's a chicken pot pie from the Daily Review days that people absolutely love, uh, and that's going to make a that's going to make an appearance at some point. So it's it's just it's a it's a tribute to a, a successful career and a, and quietly like a a very influential uh, person in the Houston culinary scene. Mm-hmm. Yep, I agree. It'll they'll definitely be missed. Great memories there. Great memories. Absolutely. All right, Felice, I'm going to say that does it for the news of the week. We'll be right back with our restaurant of the week. Stick around. Felice, for our restaurant of the week, I want to talk to you about Tavola. This is Ben Berg's new upscale Italian restaurant. It is located in the what had been the downstairs part of La Tab on Post Oak, which is right next to where Ben has the Annie Cafe and Turner's. It is led by Valerio Lombardozzi, who was the longtime general manager and maitre d' of La Tab, and Chef Luca di Benedetto, who comes to us from Europe, where he has a very impressive resume working for a bunch of top chefs and restaurant groups. So I want to, I want to talk about Tavola from, from a few different angles, but I want to start with just kind of your first impressions of when you walked into the space, because you'd been there when it was Latab and you'd seen the kind of the changes that they made to turn it into Tavola. So, so what did you think when you walked in the room? So yeah, you can't help, but walk through the room and try to figure out where everything else was before. Right, because they did such a transformation, and it was it was very interesting. I I found myself looking at you, and we were dining with some other guests, and all of us were kind of like, 
Are you trying to figure out what everything else was? And we're all like laughing, like, yeah, because it was such a transformation, but a nice transformation. It has its own feel. They've done a nice job of transforming it um, because I I could not remember Latav. Like, I can remember it in my head, but you know how, like, you go some places and you're like, oh, they just kind of just spruced it up a little bit. It it, it has its own vibe, its own energy. Um, I didn't feel like I was at a refurbished or a 2.0 restaurant. It had a very nice um, Italian feel, I'll say. Yeah, no, it is. It is essentially unrecognizable. <laughs> yes, from the Latab days, because you you walk in, and you're like, they moved where the the bar is, right? They it, it used to be in the middle of the room. Now it's off to the right side. They closed in the patio, so now the bar is. It serves both what had been the patio and the main dining room. And and that's replaces where the staircase used to be that took you upstairs to the fine dining part of the top. That's gone, replaced with a, an external elevator. And then kind of where you went for restrooms or or the, the old elevator that took you upstairs, they put a whole kitchen in. Like it's it's not a big kitchen, but it's it's enough uh for the I don't know, whatever 80, 100 seats that they have they have in the room. And it's it's just such a thorough transformation. It's it's it like it took what had basically been like a a big lobby with with some tables and a bar in it, and and made it into a whole restaurant. And it's it's a very impressive transformation. And and like you said, it it feels luxurious. It feels intimate. It's very comfortable. So I I think you know that 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 was sort of my first impression. Was like I can't I can't believe I'm sitting where you know where the <laughs> the, the back bar used to be. Right, right. Are the bakeries in the front where, like, it's um the hostess area and some seating? Like, it just they they did a, a lovely job of transforming it. All right, talk to me about the menu. What were what were some of your favorite dishes that we ate? Because we had we had quite a bit. So some of my favorite dishes were like the off off menu. Like they do a they have a focaccia of the day. Right. And I think we, we were going to get the focaccia of the day. But if I'm not mistaken, the focaccia that we end up getting is it was an off menu item, but it is one that you can get daily. Is that correct? Yeah, I think that's right. With uh, with some sort of salumi and black truffle and uh, pickled vegetables. That was all that was all very tasty. Yeah, because I was looking for it and I was like. Which focaccia did we get? Like, but it's the off menu. It was better than anything that we would have gotten. I thought that was divine. I love that. And then we had another special that was literally, I'm like, they need to add it to the menu. Yeah, that spicy pasta with crab was absolutely Uh, fantastic. Eric, I, I literally, the next day, I was just like, I wonder if, they could make it off menu if I went today. Like, I wonder if they have any more crab. Like, that's how good it was. Yeah, and, they have um, the crab. It's just, do they have those little, those little tube shaped uh, pasta? Right. It's like pasta. Right. They called it something. Um, yeah, they said it was shaped like uh, calamari rings. Right. It, it was. It was. It was divine. It was divine. So those are a couple of my um, favorites. And the oh oh, you're gonna be surprised by this because. You know, if y'all know Eric, Eric is a meatball guy. 
if the meatball, he's going to get the meatballs. It doesn't matter if they're popular or not. He's going to have to have an opinion. Me, on the other hand, I'm not because I know Eric's going to get it. So the meatball was one of my favorites. It was an impressive meatball. Um, I wish it would have been a little warmer, but even though it wasn't as warm as I would have liked it, I know if it would have been warmer, I would have like been blown away. It was amazing because that the little mozzarella in it. Right. Flavor and texture on the meatball, very good. Temperature of the meatball could have been a little warmer. Yep. Those are my faves. What about you? You know, I, I mean, I agree with you. That that crab pasta was so, so delicious. Uh, the other things I liked, I liked that Frito Misto with the fried shrimp and calamari. That's always a big winner for oh, me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then we, you know, if you if you went to La Tab, you know, they always did the the table side chicken for two. That was always like a signature dish. And Valerio rolls out the cart and carves it all table side. So they said, oh, we're doing off the menu. We're doing chicken for the table. So we got the whole chicken and Valerio carved it. It had a little bit of it had a little bit of Italian spice to it, which I thought was interesting. I thought it was pretty well cooked. You know, I I'm I'm a sucker for a, a, a table side chicken. And then, you know, we got there uh cacio e pepe agnolotti with crispy artichokes. And we said, you know, this is good, but I need more pepe in my cacio e pepe. Yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> right. So then right. They, so he said, he said, no problem. And he he went to the chef and came back with just spaghetti with like extra pepper, cacio e pepe with extra pepper. And it was so delicious. And it was just this like random little treat. (laughs) Like, um, you know, that was that was maybe one of my favorite things. And then and then all the desserts. I mean, that uh, hazelnut cake with like the chocolate mohawk was so much fun. Yeah, that was the olive oil ice cream was so good. And uh, and all those gelatos were just so tasty. And then and then, you know, I like an amaro after dinner. I mean, give me a little Montenegro, uh, you know, maybe a little, maybe a little oh. Campari if I'm feeling spicy. Uh, but that they have a whole amaro cart with like a dozen different selections, and we had a flight of four. I just thought that was such a nice way to end the meal. It was lovely. Yes, though. I how could I forget that? That was a highlight. Yes. The Morrow card. Yeah. It was a lovely way to end dinner. Oh, right. and then and then I'm sorry. And then a pour. I'm sorry. Before that I had a port, you know. Yeah. That that was lovely. You're classy. Port, like that. You had to have a little port. Yeah. I mean, you know me. You know, I have to do it for the you know, I have to do it for the girls. <laughs> uh no, I mean, I you know, so you know, which is not to say that everything hit for us, I, you know, the they're very proud of their ravioli or sorry they're lasagna and so we're like all right we'll do the lasagna and it's a spinach lasagna you know spinach noodle with this this bright tomato sauce but you know the one thing i love about a lasagna is the crispy edges right that right. textural contrast and and the one at, at tavola was all one texture it was just it was really soft i don't know if it was overcooked i just like i i just needed it Maybe at a higher temperature, like I, you know, I'm not. Yeah, something not was off about, by but it. Something to give it some crunch would yeah, have been. Yeah, something was off by it. it. Was one note. And then you know they have this uh, this kind of build your own cannoli dessert with like little cannoli chips and the uh, ricotta that you. And it's not clear like, are you supposed to dip the chips in the ricotta? Are you supposed to like assemble it with the knife? Like, it's just 
you know, it's like, it's, it's kind of a fun idea and I just feel like the execution isn't, isn't quite there or needs to be uh, rethought. But, you know, I've been kind of knocking out some of these uh, new fine dining restaurants. Mary and I talked about Armiela Cacote a few episodes ago. I've been to, I've been to Lombardi, but we haven't talked about that on the show yet. You know, there's this kind of wave of like new, newish elevated restaurants in town. And, you know, one of the things I like about about Ben Berg's restaurants is that it's always it's always a good experience, right? There's always good service. There's always a warm atmosphere. There's always like a a bit of a, a vibe to them. You know, we were sort of chuckling about all the women who seem to be like indulging in the the mob wife aesthetic that's kind of making its way around social media, you know, sparkly tops and leather pants and furs and all that kind of stuff. A lot of a lot of mob wife at, at Tavola on the night that we went there. So it definitely has an atmosphere. It definitely has a a, a welcoming environment, a, a celebratory environment. But so let me put it to you. I mean, you know, you've been eating it at some of these places. You and I have been to El Braco together. You know, I, I think you've been to Zanti. Uh, I don't know if you've been to Lombardi, but but where does this slot for you? I think it's going to fall, and I haven't been to some of the, I haven't been to Lombardi yet, but um, from what I hear, as you say, it's up there. I think it's going to fall up there toward the fine dining and with this new wave of just Italian, um, just Italian period, right? So it's going to be in the upper fine dining area. And, but I think the vibe, I think the vibe and the service make it very approachable. That's the thing. I think it's very approachable and just because it's so new, I think some of the things that I'm concerned about, they're going to button up. They'll they'll button those things up just because that's what this group does. That's what Ben's Hospitality Group does. They they don't really fall on those areas that I'm kind of concerned about. I'm really not concerned about them. It's not even a thing that I feel like I, I would want to mention at this point. If I go back and it's still off, then I'd mention it. But yeah, it's a place that I would go back to. And I can't wait for them to finish that patio. Because that's going to be, I think, in the coming months, once they finish their patio, and I think they said they're going to have a pizza oven out there and all of that, and it's covered. I think that's going to be for brunch in Houston, coming in the spring, the deal. That's going to be the spot. Yeah, no, I, I think that's right. And I think, you know, they haven't said yet, what's going in upstairs where the, it had been kind of the fine dining part of Latav. They haven't said what's going to replace that. You know, chef Luca is very accomplished with both Italian food and French food. So, you know, we don't, we don't know. They haven't said, but uh, something, something good is going to happen upstairs. And then when it does, there will be this kind of symbiosis, I think between uh, the two spaces and, and that'll make it even more exciting. I think. I agree. Well, anything else on Tavola? Oh, you know what? I have to speak on my cocktail. I had a Mediterranean gin and tonic. Woo, honey. It was the thing. Oh, I didn't expect it to be that refreshing, but you know, I'm a whiskey girl, but I'm also a gin and tonic girl. And it's up there with one of my favorite gin and tonics. It's, it's nice. It was quite nice. So, you know, just for the, Gin and tonic, gin lovers, add that to your list. 
Yeah, no, I think I think that's one of those details that Berg Hospitality gets right. You know, the the cocktails are always always well executed, always flavorful, always artfully presented, and it it does it adds to that that atmosphere. Oh yeah, it was good. It was great. I had a good night. It was a good night. It was it was a very good night. All right, Felice, I'm going to say that does it for the restaurant of the week. Thank you very much. Thank you, Eric. That does it for today's show. Thank you for listening. Join me on Thursday when my guests will be Ernest Cervantes and Robert Jacob Lerner.